It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. My next guest on the program is the is the is an author at the South African Rugby Magazine. His name is Dylan Jack. We welcome him. Dylan, good evening. Good morning. Welcome. How are you? I'm great in yourself. Thanks for having me on. No, no problem at all. Um, look, I've, there's been a lot happening, I guess, um, over the last 48 hours, not so much in South Africa or New Zealand, but certainly in Wales. Coaching change there. Um, Warren Gatlin coming back in. Equally, we have seen a coaching change for England. What's been the South African take on this? Uh, I mean, does this make Wales and England stronger as we head into next year's Rugby World Cup? Yeah, it's a very interesting thing to see both teams sort of change their coaches um, less than a year out from the World Cup. You know, I mean, the Springboks did something similar when they um, uh, sacked uh, Alistair Kutsia and then they brought in Rassi Rasmus and Jacques Ninova back from uh, Munster in 2018. But that obviously was two years out from the World Cup, which gave them a bit more time to implement the systems that they needed to sort of implement um, for the World Cup, uh, including Ninova's quite detailed defensive system. Um, so it's it's quite interesting. I think so, the spring, uh, this general feel around Eddie Jones in particular is that England have probably made a bit of a mistake by getting rid of him. Um, Eddie Jones is obviously very highly rated in South Africa due to what he did um, with the Springboks in 2007. He was an assistant coach. He was brought in as a consultant mm. um, to Jake White for that 2007 tournament, and he really did help create some new things with the Springbok attack in particular. Um, so he's very highly rated in South Africa. So there's a feeling that maybe England have taken the wrong um, option here and getting rid of Eddie Jones a year, less than a year out from the World Cup. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, yeah, how much can you read into um, a, a team's form, uh, say, seven or eight months yeah. from, out from a Rugby World Cup? I, I, I get frustrated here in New Zealand that we sort of go on this four-year cycle and it's always building towards the next World Cup. It's like, just win the next test. And the point, the point I guess, for South yeah. Africa, I mean, you guys were beaten here in New Zealand 57-0 in 2017. Two years later, you win the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, do teams yeah. overthink it? Yeah, maybe. Um, and I think the thing with England is that uh, maybe Eddie Jones possibly could have bought himself a bit more time by um, turning some of those losses into wins. Obviously, they had their, I think they had the worst run of results this year since 2008. So I mean, maybe he could have brought himself a bit more time in terms of his um, experimenting and trying to find out what systems would have worked for the World Cup if he had just, if the team had just turned a couple of those. Um, losses um, into wins and um, maybe it performed better in the Six Nations in particular. And I think that was maybe where the frustration um, lies with England. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just heading towards the next world. I mean, looking, okay, looking back on the year 2022, what's the general consensus around the Springbok? How, how, do, you, how do you and how do the rugby public feel that the team fared this year? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting year and in that the team has experimented. They haven't always got the results that they've um, wanted, particularly in the um, rugby championship. There were there was the home loss at Ellis Park to New Zealand, and I think that hurt a bit because that possibly was the game where the Springboks 
um, surrendered the rugby championship because going from beating New Zealand in the final 10 minutes to giving New Zealand a bonus point win at Ellis Park um, in Johannesburg, it's 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 a, a totally different shift. You've, you've basically given them the title over there. So, but other but apart from that, you look at how they've been able to grow um, the squad in different areas. They've been able to um, implement Damien Willemse as a test rugby fly half. They've been able to um, bring in a couple of young wingers. We've seen Kanan Moody do really, really well. We've seen Kirtley Orenser, seven tries and seven test matches, absolutely outstanding. So there is, um, while there is a little bit of a frustration about the results, ultimately, I mean, they got the, the Springboks got the first win against Australia in Australia since 2013, beat England at Twickenham for the first time since 2014. And there's also been a growth in the attacking systems as well. The Springboks look a bit more enterprising on attack than they did uh, last year. So there's an acceptance that some of those results sort of had to be sacrificed to grow the different areas of the squad. Mm. So was South Africa stronger or weaker for not being part of Super Rugby now? Um, I think it, it's a tricky question, that one. Um, I think that ultimately they, they would be stronger. I think when you look at the players that are coming through the, the system right now, the fact that they're more aligned with the Northern Hemisphere, which probably suits um, the club teams a bit more in terms of travel. Um, so I, I think that they're a little bit better off for um, leaving Super Rugby and being able to join up with the um, URC. Um, we're seeing now they're going to make their Champions and Challenge Cup debut, which is really, really exciting. It's something that um, the country is excited for, getting our teams into such a big competition, such a historic competition. It, it's absolutely massive, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, New Zealand, is it? are we still seen as a threat next year to the Rugby World Cup? Do we still put fear into South Africa? Because, I mean, at the moment, I'm not sure that New Zealanders think this All Black team's particularly great or particularly flash. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there is still a concern of what New Zealand can do to you when they are on their game. Obviously, they've got incredible players that if you allow them the space, if you allow them the time, the guys like the uh, Barrett brothers... You know, if you get if you allow these players um, the time and the space to just operate with the ball, they're going to slaughter you. And we saw that at um, Ellis Park this year. That if you give the All Blacks any sort of dominance, um, any sort of territorial gain, they they have the players to be able to carve you to shreds. Um, so they are still seen while they're not sort of as feared um, as the sort of 2015 team used to be. Um, they, they're still seen as a bit of a threat for the World Cup if you're not on your game, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll ask you this because um, I think New Zealand, South Africa, we're both on the harder side of the draw. We've also got Ireland and France. Yeah. So I think the four best sides in the world yeah. at the moment, and two of them are going to go after the quarterfinals. Um, so, who does South Africa see as their biggest challenge? Um, probably at, at this stage, they'd probably see France as their biggest challenge. Um, obviously, the French have just have gone through the year unbeaten. They haven't had the struggles that um, New Zealand have had this year with under Ian Foster. Um, and they obviously also beat the, the Springboks and, um, in the game this year um, on the end of year tour. So I think that France are seen as the biggest threat um, with the way that they've just been growing over the past couple of years. And the fact that they do seem to be on an upward trajectory, um, but Ireland are also equally seen as a threat. I mean, they—I think they outplayed the Springboks in Dublin in that game. Um, and the Springboks 
I mean, two, even though it was a two-point game, Ireland probably could have won that game a bit easier, mm. a bit better. So um, I think that Ireland are seen as a big threat, obviously, in the pool. Winning that pool game is going to be absolutely crucial. And then you're probably also looking at France as a massive threat in the in a potential um, quarterfinal at home. It's it's going to be yeah. a, a massive game if that's the game that the Springboks mm-hmm. have in the quarterfinal. Yeah, one thing that they have to deal with, and it's something that I think Steve Hansen pointed out in 2019 with Ireland and possibly France, and that's dealing with the expectation of being favourites. It's something that New Zealand's always had to yes. do. It's probably something South Africa's always had to deal with. And so yeah. it's fascinating, isn't it, because it is so much greater than the sum of its parts at a World Cup. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, France have never really had to maybe possibly had never really had to deal with that or this French team never really had to deal with that sort of ex- pressure of expectation and that's going to be all on them next year. It's going to be really interesting to see how they deal with that mm. from sort of a psychological point of view that going into a World Cup, they're definitely going into the world, this World Cup as the favourites, that's for sure. When you World Cup host, you World, you've gone through an unbeaten season, um, you've won the Six Nations, you've done it all and now you're going into World Cup as host, it, it, you're definitely going to be title favourite. So that's really going to be the interesting thing to watch next year. You're listening to SENZ, Dylan Jack, author at South African Rugby Magazine, is my guest on the programme. You mentioned um, the building of depth and building of players and key positions in South Africa. Who are the two players that you can at least afford to have injured and not make the World Cup next year? Um, well, if I had to pick out two from this current squad, you're probably looking at firstly the captain, Sia Kulisi. Obviously, he's been tremendous this year, absolutely tremendous this year, not only as a captain um, and a leader both on and off the field, but also just as a, as a player. He's just been in, in incredible form this year. Um, and then you're probably looking at either between Eben Etzebeth at Locke, who's also, I mean, 100 test cap, over 100 test cap Locke, um, also in absolutely tremendous form, um, one of the best number fours in the world at this point. Probably unlucky to miss out on a um, Player of the Year nomination mm. from World Rugby. Um, and then you were probably also looking at a guy like perhaps an unsung hero, um, like uh, or possibly two unsung heroes like uh, Francois Hab and Lucanio Am. Francois Hab, one of the best tight heads in the world, an incredible defender. Um, obviously a key cog in that Springbok scrum, someone who just knits it all together. And then Lukanya Am, who um, just the creative hub of the Springboks. Um, he's been out injured for half the year and Jesse Creel has done a very good job in filling out, filling in for him. Um, but Lukanya Am is, is one of the best number 13s in the world, if not the best number 13 mm. before his injury. Um, so you're probably looking at those. I know I've listed four players, but um, you're probably looking at mm. those four as the, as the players that the Springboks could least afford to lose that they probably when you're looking at the alternatives there they're probably not as strong as um, the players in those Mm. positions Uh, We were absolutely amazed um, over here that Artie Sevilla didn't get nominated for player of the year, the All Blacks have been terrible but that guy was brilliant even when the All Blacks were terrible Mm. the South Africans would take him in a heartbeat wouldn't they they'd put him in their starting lineup if 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 you could have him wouldn't you yeah, absolutely. I mean, Adi, just absolutely next level. A guy just absolutely dogged in everything that he does. He's just, he never accepts second best in any, whether it's carrying, whether it's defending, going in and poaching, poaching at the breakdown. It's just, he's an absolutely incredible player. Um, whether he comes in at number eight or number seven or number six, wherever he plays, he just mm. is absolutely incredible. So I think, yeah, I mean, he's another player that, 
really, really unlucky to miss out on a well, no, it's, um, it's, World Rugby third year accommodation. Yeah, let's, yeah. Just, let's, be honest, let's be honest, Dylan. I mean, it's just the Northern Hemisphere just putting the boot into the South, isn't it? I mean, they always put their players up on a pedestal. A they bit. always put their players up on a pedestal, don't they? I mean, if you were to choose the greatest ever 15 across the world, it'd be all South African and New Zealand players, wouldn't it, Dylan? Of course it would. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Not I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely insane that um, uh, Eben Etzebeth and Ardi Severe both. It's it's so so strange that both of them missed out on nominations after the years that they've had. I mean, and and the players that were nominated, you probably look at them and say, well, are they? Did they have as good a season as these two players? And it's probably not. Mm. You could say. Um, mm. And you look at a, a Josh van der Fleer, I think, deserved to win the World Player of the Year. But um, the other players that were nominated, France, I mean, France, you could say that France played Japan um, mid-year. And it was that uh, as tough a test as some of the Southern Hemisphere teams had um, in their games. Um, South Africa hosting uh, uh, Wales and, um, you know, it, it's just uh, you're looking at those games and you're saying, did they have as tough fixtures as the um, Springboks in New Zealand? Had? And I think... The, it's quite, you know, um, with Audi and Eben missing out, it's, it's a quite an unfortunate thing for mm. the Southern mm. Hemisphere. In regard to the uh, black players, if I can use that terminology, in South Africa, are they well and truly now integrated into the game or are there still barriers? I mean, I would have thought players like Khaleesi and stuff would have, you know, demonstrated that, hey, <laughs> you know, we, we, need to tap yeah. in, we need to tap into uh, the African DNA here. Well, I mean, there's a very inclusive, there's inc- increasingly and increasingly there's uh, inclusive culture in the Springboks now. We, we've obviously seen that um, both with the supporters that come to the stadium, we've seen it behind the scenes. There's a, there's a very much a inclusive culture um, at the Springboks and that's sort of removed. And that's what Rossi and Jacques have done so well in their tenure is they've sort of, these players select themselves. It's not selecting a player to check a box. These players really select themselves and it's mm. the same that's filtered down to our um unions as well where we've seen more black players and more colored players being selected than ever before so and these players fully deserve their selection it's not being selected to tick a box and they've also sort of transformed their culture the sharks the bulls the stormers we've seen the stormers um if you've watched some of their videos that they've released from their behind the scenes footage they've fully sort of designed and got an inclusive culture in their team that allows the players to express themselves. It's not just selecting a player for the sake of it. Um, and perhaps there is still a barrier in the country in terms of access to resources when you talk about yeah. that. Um, there's still very much a barrier in terms of that between um, black players and white players. Um, and that's still something that we have to overcome. But in terms of the teams, there's definitely a better mm. inclusive culture in all of our teams at the moment, which is mm. really, really good to see. One of the criticisms that I have with New Zealand rugby is it's all become too top-heavy. It's all about the All Blacks, and club rugby's in a bit of trouble here. We've seen the MPC really, really struggling, and now with South Africa not part of Super Rugby and um, players being rested and rotated and you now top players not always available. Um, you know, the, the, the game is struggling. I mean, how healthy, how healthy is the domestic game in South Africa? How healthy is the Curry Cup? Uh, that's a very good question because, um, and the, interestingly, in the Curry Cup, we saw two of our smaller unions, um, the Griquas and um, the Pumas, two, two unions who aren't used to 
um, in his sort of domestic, big domestic success, contesting the Curry Cup final, which is sort of a sign of um, sort of where the Curry Cup is at the moment because of the um, uh, because of our teams going into the URC and now into the Champions Cup. Um, the emphasis on this, they're no longer fielding what they would call their strongest teams in the Curry mm. Cup anymore, which has allowed these smaller unions to mm. sort of get success. Um, so that's perhaps both a positive and a negative. It's obviously devalued the Curry Cup a little bit, you could say, because our, um, for such a historic competition, one of the oldest club competitions in the world, um, in world rugby, um, you don't have the best players playing in there anymore. You have players that are coming through from um, the under-21s or mm. um, the under-19s and perhaps even Varsity Cup coming through. You have sort of those sort of players coming through with perhaps a, some few experienced players that aren't getting regular game time in the URC and sort of a mix and match in that in terms of um, the bigger unions. Um, so that sort, of, that sort of devalued the Curry Cup in a way. Yeah, not happening here. Crowd numbers are down, player numbers are down, television ratings are down, and now the All Blacks are saying it's okay to lose as long as we win the Rugby World Cup. So we've reduced rugby to once every four years. I'm not sure it's a healthy place to be. To be perfectly, yeah. uh, to to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. So how Rassi Rasmus seems to be a bit of a controversial figure. Um, how is he received in South Africa? Well, I think yeah, it's it's very much split at the moment um, between because you have his staunch defenders, you have people who absolutely love him and will back him no matter what, and then you have you do have a bit of a growing contingent that are starting to get a little bit frustrated with um, his antics on um, social media, where he's sort of the videos that he's been releasing on Twitter and his criticism of referees. Um, so there's a bit of a divide there at the moment between. Um, the support, the Springbok supporters, there's, there's one portion that will definitely back him no matter what and see Rossi as the coach that guided us to the 2019 World Cup and um, they'll be behind him. And But there's another portion that's sort of emerging that's sort of wanting Rossi to focus more on the rugby now than, and sort of keep the main thing the main thing, as he would say, um, instead of going on Twitter and criticising referees, you know. Okay, we've had a huge discussion here. Not too many New Zealanders believe in Ian Foster. I mean, other countries are allowed to experiment in the name of trying to win the Rugby World Cup, not the All Blacks. We expect to win every test, and there seems to be a little bit of a shift. No one wants Ian Foster. No one believes he's any good. We lost a series to Ireland this year. We lost to Argentina at home. Um, We probably should have lost a test to the Wallabies. I mean, is South Africans surprised that we've retained him? I mean, do South Africans... Um, rugby fans believe what a lot of New Zealanders believe that why haven't we sacked this guy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there's there's a, there was a big surprise that um, New Zealand rugby, particularly when he was under pressure, half sort of in those first couple of weeks in um, the rugby championship, and also after that loss to Argentina, there was a big question of well, why have New Zealand continued to back this guy if the results aren't coming? Mm. It's quite clear he's not getting the best out of the players at the mo- at the moment, and um, the results aren't there. So why is he continually getting backed? And it was really, really surprising to see New Zealand rugby sort of stick with him when all of this was going on, when he was really, really under pressure. He was sort of a subject of ridicule almost um, in South Africa, I would say. Oh, yeah, I tell you what, if he doesn't win the Rugby World Cup, and I'm not sure he will, I think we'll be struggling to get out of the quarterfinals. We'll go down as the worst all-black coach in history, and it could have been, it could have it could yeah. have changed. We could have done differently, but no, no. 
No, no, the Old Boys Network, well and truly at work here in New Zealand. Uh, look, Dylan, lovely to have you on the programme, greatly appreciated. And um, look, have a great Christmas. And um, I really do hope South Africa are not as good as they look next year. <laughs> Thank you so much. Eh? Yeah, hopefully we keep on going on the up and up next year. <laughs> oh no, nothing, no, 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 nothing but respect, mate. Nothing but respect. In all in all seriousness, sure, hey, Dylan, lovely. Thank you, Dylan Jack, the uh, the author of the South African Rugby Magazine, joining us here on the program. Some interesting thoughts, eh? Yeah, fascinating, fascinating.